What's up, guys? It's Cash. Just reminding you to head over to Justition and use our promo code REALTALK for 10% off your order. T-shirts, long sleeves, sweatpants, hoodies, hats, sticker packs, flags, you name it. The boys over at Justition have you locked down. That's using our code REALTALK for 10% off. And again, thanks for listening to us over here at The Real Talk. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Real Talk Podcast. We have a very special episode planned for you today. As always, I'm your host, Dami CNY, Dami Hockey, Dami all the stupid nicknames. Uh, we have Joe Conzi Jr. up top. What's going on, Joe? Oh, living the dream. Sabres are back in action for the first time in two weeks. What did we call today, Dom? A two-week hiatus. They're back. <laughs> I'm excited to get my heart broken again. Heartbroken, you will. I'm pretty sure. No, well, playing the Isles. Let's kind of see how that works out. And we have... The one, the only, Jonesy B. Jonesy, what up, bud? What up, what up? Good to be back. Good to see you guys. The Blues are currently playing right now. I think they're still down one zip, but we're here. We're ready. Yeah, go yo. It's Rally the Valley, bud. What's going on? <laughs> no, game seven of the series. Blues got to get it. <laughs> oh, geez. And we have a very special guest today. Uh, Calgary-born, 2014 Canucks draft pick, uh, Allegiance Hockey owner-CEO. I'm not sure how you want me to refer to that, but that works for me. Mackenzie Stewart. Mackenzie, what's going on, man? Not too much. Thanks for having me on. I think it's going to be a fun little podcast. Yeah, you could tell we're kind of just a little rip and riot, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds good. Awesome, awesome. All right, yeah, Mackenzie, you got a really cool story. I got to be honest with you, when you agreed to come on, I got super excited because one, uh, for those of you local listeners, you did spend a little bit of time here with my beloved Utica Comets. Maybe not a lot of games, but more than nothing, more than I've ever played. Uh, and just your story is awesome. Growing up, were you fully deaf or were you just, how, how did that work? Were you just have some type of hearing problems? What was, what was the deal with that? Um, so when I was born, I had, uh, I would say like a hearing impairment might be like the proper definition of it. Um, I think when it first got brought up and I made it into the Western Hockey League, that kind of seemed to be the big title that everybody ran with. Right, uh, right. Okay. Like, born cool. deaf, born deaf. And then all of a sudden it just kind of spread like wildfire through every article. So um, a lot of people ask that question. I'd say hearing impairment probably be like the, the correctness of it, but I definitely couldn't hear shit. Um, so, you know, I had to go through a lot of surgeries and, um, you know, a, a definitely a different kind of youth growing up to get my hearing back. Um, best way to describe it i guess now you're from uh specifically hockey db said red deer are you from red deer like rick so yeah so my um my parents were divorced growing up so my dad lived in red deer i spent a little bit of time there but majority of my life i grew up in and uh played hockey in calgary okay uh so a lot of it you're probably were you probably the only person growing up who had any type of hearing issues did you kind of stand out or did it was it something that you didn't really even notice uh, I think I, I, you know, it wasn't something where I really took notice of it or can look back and be like, oh yeah, like the, I remember this specific time in class when I just couldn't do this or that. Um, I do remember being in the hospital a lot. I do remember not being able to do certain activities. Um, I do remember speech therapy quite vividly. Um, wasn't something that I enjoyed, but it's not, again, I, I wouldn't say that it was something where I could look back. Like some people ask the question, like, do you remember what it was like when you first heard something and you know, this kind of like amazing moment. And I don't think I really had one of those. Um, I think it was more just, I knew that things were a little bit different and I had to go through a different process and it wasn't, I think my, my parents did a really good job of normalizing things. 
um, as well. Like my mom didn't allow me to go to a separate school from the public. Um, That's something she really pushed for. So I, I wouldn't say I had this like, you know, I didn't notice it, I guess I could say as a kid growing up. Right, right. And, and you're from, you know, you're from, you said Calgary and Red Deer. I mean, growing up, I mean, were you, were you always like, were you a big Calgary Flames fan growing up? I mean, they had some, they had some pretty legitimate teams, you know, I, I'd imagine growing up that you watched. Yeah, for sure. Um, so being from Red Deer, I feel like it's a polarized kind of fan base between the two. It's either Edmonton or Calgary. So it's, um, you know, one cheers for Edmonton, one cheers for Calgary. I kind of cheered for Edmonton for majority of my time growing up. Um, but oh, I, I should put on my McDavid that, jersey. <laughs> yeah, no, I love Edmonton. I love Calgary too. Um, I mean, being from Calgary, you get to see a guy like Jerome McGinley, who was a big influence on me when I was younger. Um, and just to, to see that um, battle of Alberta and be a part of it as a fan, um, you know, it definitely had a lot of influence on my hockey. Mentioning that he no, must be he must be loving the battle of you must be loving the battle of it's Alberta. Back, Again, baby. like it is we were talking about this before we got on the podcast, just about how like, you know, Dom's a Rangers fan, I'm a Sabres fan, you know, Jonesy's enjoying his blues just being like, you know, very good right now. But you know, you watch a lot of these NHL games and I couldn't tell you how excited I am to see the Battle of Alberta back. Like that is something hockey's been missing dramatically over the years and Oh man, like I can't even imagine growing up and just being able to just see the Battle of Alberta like regularly. And now I'm just witnessing this for like the first time. So it's like incredible. Yeah, no, it was pretty sweet. And I mean, like, I think the the key factor of that too, like when you look at a leader like Aginla, that guy literally would do it all. Like he was the the Jamie Ben of today, I guess, in the NHL, where he'll score on you, he'll put the puck in or he'll assist it and he'll fight you too. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he just did everything as a, a top goal scorer. And at that time growing up, like he was putting in 50 in the back of the net and then go out and beat the piss out of a guy in the box and, you know, keep going. So I, I think it's great to see the battle back. And um, I think both teams are young too. I know Kachuk just loves to stir the pot out there. Oh, yeah. I'm an, and uh, Cassian, like he's an entertaining guy to watch on Edmonton. It's just a – they have a good dynamic both ways. But I think, you know, even if you look at the league, like Vancouver – um, and Calgary kind of go at it back and forth now ever since Ferlin made that statement in the playoffs. Um, when I was first coming in, he just absolutely ran everybody's show, and that's when they had Fiexa and, you know, some other guys who were willing to throw back then. Um, you know, that, that kind of hatred between the two teams has kind of grown, um, but yeah. the players that everybody loves to hate have left Vancouver, so I think it makes it really entertaining to kind of see this whole division now with the COVID in Canada only being able to play Canada. And I think that that West dominant division is very um, chippy in most games. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny, Don, when he brings up Jerome McGinley, just how like he'd fight, he'd score. And he's just like, everyone like loved Jerome McGinley. Somebody recently in Boston, I don't know if it was like a couple of years ago, there was a snowstorm and they interviewed Jerome Oh, yeah, McGinley, yes. But they didn't know it was Jerome McGinley because he's so humble. Like he, yeah. he wouldn't know, he wouldn't know it's Jerome McGinley because he just wants to be like a normal everyday guy now. Like he yeah. doesn't care if he's Jerome McGinley. It's incredible. I, yeah, I, I love that you that uh, Mac that you mentioned too. Like the guys that kind of started it left Vancouver yeah. and like left all these young guys to kind of like, okay, now wait, what do we do? We're supposed to handle this. Now? Yeah. It's it's crazy. I actually I love that you brought up McGinley too because like that kind of really makes a lot of sense towards like the way that I see the way you kind of played, especially coming up. It must have been. I'll just I'm gonna pump your tires a little bit for the fact that you didn't start playing ice hockey till you were twelve and then still managed to get drafted by an NHL team. I mean, dude, that's incredible. Like, that really is absolutely incredible. And I mean, it seems like you just had 
basically two thirds less time to get ready than everyone else. And you still managed to work hard enough to get there. And that's so inspiring to me. Yeah. I mean, well, while other kids were getting scouted in Pee Wee, I was learning how to stop on both sides. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a, it's, it was definitely a, a wild journey to get there. And I look back on it all and it still blows my mind that I got to that level um, to be able to get drafted and, and have the opportunity. And even in the HL, like um, when Vancouver first put me in that system in Utica, I was 20 years old. So, right. you know, as a 20 year old kid playing, I was a D man. They wanted me to transition to forward. And I'm playing with Subban, who was the other kind of stud at the time in Castles. Like those two guys, if you look at their junior numbers in comparison and what they've done over their career, like I wasn't even an infant in comparison to where most of these guys have been their entire life. So, um, you know, I was really proud of myself to be able to get to that level at that age um, and do and do what I did and had the run that I had. Yeah, it's 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 funny too that you mentioned I don't I don't get to talk about this much because we don't talk a lot of comments hockey, but I'm gonna mention it. Uh especially like as a young kid coming into Utica, even though it's an AHL team, it's like the environment here is nuts. And you yeah, had some really great players, like the guy on the back of my jersey right now, Zach McEwen, who in my opinion is a legitimate NHL player now. Like the, you look at that roster you guys had, like there's some really great talent and you guys are coming off a couple successful years in a row. So for a guy who's legitimately been playing hockey for seven years, eight years, like to get thrown yeah. into that, dude, is crazy, man. It, it must have been absolutely crazy. Yeah, it was, it was mind-boggling. I mean, even uh, to transition positions and um, – you know, Ron DeLorme was the kind of the head scout who scouted me. Um, like, go figure, big, tough guy. And right. Wants a tough guy up front, right? <laughs> Makes uh, sense. He, yeah. uh, he was a huge fan of me. The one weekend, I, I think, you know, I don't, I don't know what your audience is, but I like to kind of inspire the kids growing up and, and kind of put in perspective on, um, one, how difficult it is and how lucky you kind of have to be to get into those shoes. Like, there's a ton of talented hockey players. As you know, you look in the AHL, you see guys in the Comets who definitely could go play in the NHL tomorrow and do just fine, but don't get that opportunity. Right. Um, and vice versa growing up, like the, I think one of the major reasons why I got drafted is because I played with Leon Drysaddle. Um, and Drysaddle had 30 scouts there every single night because everybody wanted to know what this kid's about. And right. fortunate for me, when Vancouver came down, I had like you know two goals and assists and two nights and four fights. And they were like, we love this guy. Um, and that's about all they had to see. And now somehow they drafted me. Like that was basically it, in my opinion. Um, you know, maybe there was more that happened and they seen me before. But, but honestly, that's the weekend I talked to Ron DeLorme. And um, I ended up getting drafted, which was like just mind-blowing to me altogether. And then from there, the next season, I played like 50, a stretch of like 15 games on forward because of injuries. And I was always able to play back and forth. Um, and again, like Stan Smeal and, and all these big guys were like, dude, you're a forward. You're going to be like Milan Lucic in the NHL. Like, we want you to play here. And I was like, I, I thought just getting drafted was cool. And then they were offering me a contract, which, again, just like it blew me away. Um, and then to, again, <laughs> go to camp, try out, get in like three fights in the prospect tournament, you know, work my ass off. And then they're like, hey, we're going to throw you in the AHL as a 20-year-old. And it's like, holy shit. Like, this is happening a lot faster than I thought it would. Um, right. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And even if you look at that lineup, like they came off of a win that season and you had like some really great hockey players still in Vancouver, um, like big names were still in that system. They, it's starting now to transition into getting a lot younger. But even now, you look at the picks that they've had and, and how they've turned out. It's just been absolutely insane. Um, right, right. You know, yeah. From like Besser and, and uh, 
like Vertanen and what's his name that was there before McCann were mm. part of my draft year. Right. And like you hear still about Vertanen, but you look at the way the Bessers turned around and Quinn Hughes now is a huge stud on that line. And um, Pedersen obviously is like the best pick they've had in forever. He's so Since sick. The Sedins, maybe. <laughs> unbelievable. He's so Phenomenal sick. Hands. Love him. Just unbelievable. Which is, Kanzi, I like that you mentioned hands too. Because uh, get into you said something to the mag about throwing hands. The the four games you played in Utica the first time you had seventeen pims, which I love. I'm a big fan of that. As as a bigger guy, when you first got into hockey, because I know you started playing a lot later than a lot of guys, and then you ended up playing. I want to say junior B's, which is still better than anything yep. I've ever done. Um, was having to be a big physical fighting kind of guy. Like, did anyone ever approach you like, hey, this is kind of your way in? Yeah. So. Um... Like, I'll, I'll take you guys on a little bit of a kind of path of, of my journey, I guess. So when I first started playing, I played the worst level of peewee my first year. Um, I was a forward at the time. And I could shoot the puck a lot harder because I, I was just a bigger kid. And at that level, like, if you hit the net and you have a decent shot, the goalie's scared of the puck anyway. So you're going to score a lot of goals. Um, <laughs> just mountain so, of a child. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, I was just always a bigger kid. Um, and then the next year, I, again, like, I, I put in a ton of work because I was trying to catch up on time missed. Um, so I was doing hockey eight hours a day, every day, all summer long for my entire career. Um, since I was 12, all the way to when I, you know, called it a quits my last year pro. Um, I was just working my ass off during the summer. So I jumped up a level into um, Bantam one. I got cut from like the AAA kind of organization, which would be the premier, maybe it's called house um, wherever in the States. Right. Um, Next season, I went up to Bantam AA. Again, I was on nobody's radar. I went and played one year of high school hockey. And at the high school hockey at the time, I was a 15-year-old, and I didn't make the AAA team. So it was either I go back to the all 15-year-old teams at 16, or I'm basically screwed. So I said, well, screw that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go play Junior B um, as a 16-year-old. And in that year at 16, I got cut three times. I got traded the first time for like a handful of players from one of the best teams. And then I went to the best team and they didn't, they wanted me basically as a seventh defenseman. And I made it known that I didn't want to play junior B and sit in the stands. So they basically cut me on the 12th hour of the trade deadline and said, the only place for you to go is back to city junior B where you're only allowed to play. Like it's basically for burnouts and we practice like we play two games we play one practice a week and like half the guys would show up either drunk or late oh to games because it's junior <laughs> b and nobody gives a shit so i'm the only kid there who's like really cares um is it is this is this leonard kenny i mean senior whale shit hockey seriously and so and actually funny enough so my first game um for the team we had one goalie and no backup because the other one was concussed and he got hurt in the first period so i ended up putting the pads on yes and that my stats on the stat sheet in that league was Mackenzie Stewart as a goalie. And I think I held like a really, I, I almost, I think I, I want to say like at the awards, I got an award for something to do with save percentage. Like seriously, I was like, <laughs> yes! it was ridiculous. I had one game played on their stat sheet as a goalie. Um, so anyways, I did all that in junior B. got cut three times from like debating my hockey career completely. And I had a summer where I was training with this group of guys. And there's this one guy there called Dwayne Hutton. And um, he apparently was like an incredible hockey player uh, growing up. And he was watching me work out, watching me skate. And he couldn't believe, um, you know, the skill set that I had because I've been working on power skating, working on my skills. 
and he basically was like following me around all summer and this is like this guy's like 60 something years old and he's following us around like doing our workouts with us and is like chanting me on in my workouts like you're a beast you're gonna do this you're gonna get to the nhl you're gonna play in the western yeah. league like like dude i got cut from three junior b teams like i'm i'm praying to god i'll get a junior a trial next year never mind go to the western <laughs> league um he ended up getting me a camp trial to prince albert raiders um i only went to the prince albert raiders because i wanted to delay me getting cut from junior a because if i leave camp in the middle of camp then i know that a couple of kids are going to get cut before i get back so instead of having to fight against 10 d men i might have to fight against eight to be the seventh um and i went to camp and i was just kind of piss and vinegar. I didn't know anybody. I didn't even know like the NHL draft was like a thing for players these age. I was still in the mindset at that time. I didn't know enough about the game that like, I didn't realize at 17, you could get drafted. Right. I thought it was like these kids out of college, you know, they're like 20 some 25 was like, you know, my age. I had no idea. Um, and I was like trying to fight guys like Mark McNeil and Mike Winther who were like first round, second round picks at camp and they loved it and they ended up signing me. I didn't, I wasn't even a name on the list. Um, played a couple of games with Prince Albert, came back the next year and then played the full season in Prince Albert and that's when I got drafted. Um, <clears throat> and leading up to that season, like we had a really good roster. We had um, Josh Morrissey, who's a big name in the NHL now, Leon Drysettle. Um, those two guys basically made up our team. I think Morrissey had like 80 points and Drysaddle 115, and the next closest had like 30. Drysaddle had 105 points in 64 <laughs> yeah. games. I mean, yeah, Jesus. He was Holy probably shit. one of the most talented hockey players I've ever played with. Um, you, you, there's, he was just something special, and so was Morrissey. So to be around those guys, you knew that you're going to get attention because we made playoffs that year when we definitely shouldn't have. We didn't have the roster or the the team around us and to bring it all back into the perspective of did somebody say to you hey you know you have to fight in order to get kind of noticed um at a young age i knew like i'm a bit i'm a lot bigger than everybody else so if i'm not physical then um you're going to kind of get labeled as one or two things like either you're a pussy and you can't play or you're gonna have to be really big and be able to do both um, and so I was like, well, I'm definitely not like a Jamie Ben skill guy, so I better be physical. Um, yeah. and I, I, I just knew that that was going to be a part of my game because that's something that I could do to get noticed is something that could get me into the lineup. Um, and so I sharpened that skill. I worked on it. Um, I felt there was another thing in my toolbox that could add to the depth of where I was going to find myself in the lineup lots of the time. If I'm going to play seventh defenseman and I get one shift, well, I better make it count and you know, I might get a YouTube video out of it later. That I can look back on, but like, you know, it's, it, that's basically what it is. And, and if you do that and you fight and you battle for your position and you work hard, then, you know, those guys like a McEwen, for example, like he wasn't afraid to get into tilts when he was in Utica. He's not afraid to do it in the NHL. And, you know, he's, he's playing on the fourth line. They know they can trust him. He can go against some heavy guys. You throw him out on the power play every now to give him a reward. Same kind right. of process, right? Like he's a bigger dude. You know that you're going to have to do, do the business and you might as well make it a part of your toolkit instead of avoiding it. Cause that's a quick way to ride in the bench. You're sitting in the stands. Right. Guys, his last year in Prince Albert, 66 games, 114 pins. <laughs> nice. So, so here's, here's, here's the thing that kind of, that kind of strikes me here is, you know, you talk about, you started your hockey career a little bit later. So a lot of these kids, you know, growing up have already started to play in systems and, you know, grasp the concept of like defensive zones, neutral zones, things like that. I mean, how long did it take for you to pick up on that, you know, moving forward? Because 
you know, a lot of, a lot of people that I talk to, but you know, a lot of hockey players will say that the toughest part is the, the mental, the IQ portion of it and being in position at all times. Was that difficult for you to pick up right off the bat or did you? Kind yeah, of just- I, I'd say I didn't even get it till maybe my third year in the Western league. Um, wow. To be honest, like I didn't even know what systems were. He's like, I'm just out here, guys. I don't know. Yeah, pretty much. Like, I was in the Western Western Hockey League, and they were showing me how to play D-Zone, and I was, like, blown away. I was like, this is – like, I had no idea. <laughs> this is um, incredible. This is so yeah. fascinating. It's like a physics I, equation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like, you just – you don't know, right? So, um, that's something I think is was ignored. But, again, um, I think a part of me was very obsessive in the way that I developed. So, I knew that – skating was obviously going to be really important so I invested in that a lot um, when I was really young I knew that I was a bigger guy so I have to learn how to protect the puck and be physical and and make that a part of my game so there's little pieces to the puzzle that I knew um, were going to make me better and when I found out about systems and it was like shit I'm behind on this now I'm going to double down and figure this out as quick as I possibly can Um, and I think coaches realize that when there's a kid up to you after every single drill every single play you're like hey what I do wrong what I do wrong what, what do I need to do? Show me that, show me that. And it's like, I'm just constantly pushing people for feedback. And um, a, a lot of times as a coach, now I see it happening with younger players where it's so much easier to just tell them, Hey, you're doing good. You know, just keep it up. And then come, you know, time to cut a kid. They don't, they don't have the truth. And for me as a kid, it was like, I was craving the truth so bad. I was like, tell me I suck. Tell me I can't skate. Tell me what it is I have to work on because this is my blueprint to success. As soon as I find out what I'm not good at, I'm going to go out and bust my ass to make it, make sure that I'm the best at it. Um, and so I was really kind of um, pushing coaches to give honest feedback. And Dave Manson was the, the head co- or the D coach at the time in uh, Prince Albert. And he did an amazing job. Like he was always honest with me. Um, he knew that he could trust me when he put me on the ice and he didn't really, you're not allowed to say it, I guess, as a coach, like go take care of business. But we kind of had like a little nod with each other and, he loved it because he knew that this kid's being a prick and I'm going to go out there. I don't care if I've had one shift in the third period, I'm going to let him know that, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go bad for my team. Um, and that definitely earned his respect and trust and, and helped me develop a lot faster because he invested back into me. So now, now that you're a coach uh, and you know, you've been through it, and like you said, you know, you were always craving the truth. Do you, does your style of coaching kind of replicate maybe those coaches that you learned from you try to instill those same values and fundamentals into your, into your, um, you know, in, into your coaching styles? hundred um, percent. Mm-hmm. I, the place that I like to start with every player is just starts with the mindset. So, um, you know, understand, do we have belief in ourselves? Do we have confidence? Um, do we have the discipline and the sacrifice that it takes? I think a lot of people underestimate um, how much effort it takes to get to that level. And that even the guys who are at the top of the top, like Sudeans, they're still waking up and practicing the discipline, sacrificing, working their asses off every single day. And they're already talented hockey players. So if you're behind the eight ball, like you're going to have to push yourself that much harder. If you're not willing to, um, you know, give some things up, to get to where you want to go, then you're, you're shit out of luck. And I see it a lot of times with parents and players where like I'd run ice times at six 30 in the morning and they're like, well, that's too early for my kid. And it's like, okay, so you, your alarm clock is, you know, sleep is more important than your dreams. That tells you how much you're willing to give up right there. You're not even willing to give up sleep. So what makes you think that you're going to be able to get to the level that you want to get to? Right. So it always starts with mindset and then it gets clear on the map. What is it that we want? Um, you know, being really specific with our goals and pitching it seeing ourselves there because um i kind of say is you know when you have a clear picture and a clear image of what you want um which i did 
uh, it allows you to kind of wake up and make that decision. Is this moving me closer or further away from my goal? And if it's moving me closer, then I should do more of it. I should push myself to get there. Um, if it's moving me further away, then I'm probably not going to get there too quick or I'm not going to, you know, I know that I'm working against myself. And if you don't have a clear image of what your map is and you don't have to believe that it's possible, you're not going to make those choices. You're not going to make those hard decisions to achieve that dream goal and that, that kind of big position. So that's where I started and work a lot of my time with players is in personal development. Um, first and foremost, because I think it's something that's ignored. Anybody can teach you how to skate. Nobody's recreating the wheel and workouts. Um, you know, you can go on YouTube and probably find a plethora of information on how to get a, become a better hockey player. And if you followed it for a while, I'm sure you would. Um, but nobody really talks about the mental side, about what it takes away from the rink. And that's, I think, one of the biggest reasons why I succeeded is just because I was willing to do more than anybody else was willing to do. I was willing to go fight the guy that nobody wanted to fight. I was willing to wake up at five to go to power skating that nobody wants to do. Um, whatever it, you know, I had to do, I was willing to do it and then some. And that I think, you know, resonated with a lot of people that were around me and it, it made the group better as a team because I was pushing them in practice because I was the, you know, leader by example, I guess you could say. Um, so I spent a lot of time there and then the rest all was just kind of passing on what I've learned from my coaches, my power skating, Dave Manson, Habchai, Greener even is a great example. Um, you know, the information I try to give to these young kids. Would you, would you say you were always like that even before hockey? Or is it something that you kind of developed, like that mentality of this is what I want, this is what I need to do to get there. Did it take you joining hockey at 12 and then having this idea of being in the league that got you to that point? Or was it something like your parents were always kind of instilled in you your entire life? I, I, would, I think the reason why I succeeded is because I'm really stubborn. And I think there was a little side of me that was a little bit arrogant um, that maybe said, well, you just don't know what you don't know. And I'll just prove you wrong. That was kind of right. my mentality. And I think when I was a kid, like, for example, when we were doing, I do speech therapy, I was in my room for like hours and hours and hours and hours after speech therapy and just like repeat the word and like try and instill it in my brain. And my mom would be like, just like, you got to relax, like take a breather, step away from him. Like, no, fuck you. I'm doing this. Like, it's it's <laughs> happening. You know Gosh. what I mean? And like, absolutely. Um, and again, I wasn't like an amazing student. I didn't have like this crazy level of discipline in a lot of areas of my life, but when I had a really extreme interest in something, I just knew that it, like, no matter what the cost or effort, like I'm going to get this done, I'm going to do it to, to be the best at it. And, um, like guitar, I was a very decent guitar player, I guess you could say growing up. Um, but it wasn't because I knew the fundamentals of guitar or practice what was maybe meant to be practiced because it was like, I'm not giving up until I learn how to play the song and I'll do it till my fingers bleed and I'll eventually learn the song. And, you know, just kind of like driving myself through those walls and pushing myself past that limit. When I started doing that in hockey, um, like, again, I played the worst level peewee and made a jump to Bantam one. And that's a big jump <laughs> for, for any kid, but it's because, I just, I, I would not stop until I could get better. And as soon as I got better, I could go back against my old friends who played on that crappy team and they weren't getting better. And now I was like, oh, I'm dominating these guys. Who can I dominate next? And I get to the next team and I'm way behind them. And, you know, by midway, halfway through the season, now I'm dominating them. And I just kept right. making those leaps and kept trying to strive to make those leaps, um, you know, against, against the best players. I just really didn't care who it was. I knew that I wasn't going to get outworked. And I think that was just stubbornness and, arrogance in a lot of ways because I just didn't want to be wrong about myself I love that yeah I'm As glad you brought it I was just gonna say like that. 
I, I was just going to say, he said about being a, a decent guitar player. I'd say you're a pretty good guitar player if you can play Slow Dancing in a Burning Room by John Mayer. I think I found that clip somewhere, Mackenzie. So, I don't know. If, the man, the legend. I know he's the best. And at Jonesy, I don't know if you struggle with that song, but I know that Mackenzie plays that note for note beautifully and i'd like to see that on one other episode we do with you because i think we should just have a jam session yeah you got two guitar players yeah (laughs) i'm the i'm the lone non-musician in the room here jonesy and and konzi are both very accomplished musicians i would say in my opinion you're both very talented (laughs) thank you thank you what so so mac you said obviously the guitar when did you start playing because obviously with a you had your hearing impairment would you say that you started even prior to when you started to get that you know, hearing back or was it just uh, yeah i definitely had it? hearing back when i started i started when i was in like grade two and i went to formal lessons okay um and i hated every second of my formal <laughs> lessons and it was very like um you know if you've ever like you obviously play guitar and you're a musician it's it's the fundamentals right of like learning scales and nothing sounds sexy it's not cool. the worst hair boring and i wish i would have stuck with it longer because um i feel like that would have made me a lot better of a guitar player because they do things to like a metronome and a beat and you could play with a band and you actually understand what the hell guitar is you're not just learning songs um but anyways they used to grade us at the end of the class and i'd practice every now and then it wasn't too serious at the time i was grade two so whatever that is like eight years old and the guy would always be like you're a d like you're a d player just not good and i was like okay well screw this guy so we ended up hiring some we just hired some like you know I don't know, like half college, half music, like whatever dudes to come over, probably half baked, give me lessons. But I'd be like, yeah, I want to learn this song next. And uh, uh. Then I, and they just come in every week. We just learn new songs. I was like, this is awesome. And then I found out what YouTube was. And I was like, well, drop that guy. I don't even need to right. have a teacher. I got YouTube now. I got uh, Marty Schwartz on Guitar Jam. Like, this guy's, <laughs> this guy's here. I can watch him half baked on YouTube and learn. So it's... Oh, uh, and then that's all I did and I just kept learning songs and just keep doing it over and over again but uh, it gets to a point where if you don't understand the fundamentals as you know you don't you reach a certain limit in your abilities and then you kind of have to regress and go back and learn it because um, as soon as you get into the guys like John Mayer and um, anybody who's like incredible on the guitar that everybody wants to sound like you got to be able to learn how to play this play the bar chords play the the scales and and you look at like those best players at a whole like John Mayer he just basically lives his life in one scale note and then just makes tweaks to it um and that kind of blue scales and it's it's incredible what he does um and I'm nowhere near that level at all um I can play the intro to be fair on slow dance into the burning room I can't play anything else I was I was waiting for Mackenzie to say when that guy called him a D player that he went back years later and dusted him just for telling yeah, him that he is a D player. Like I became a hockey player instead. Like he just dusted him. You know? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, Cons, you're like I said, you're a very accomplished musician. Conzi just won a a, a Bang Energy uh, contest <laughs> oh, on Twitter. He wrote a, a wrote oh, a Bang nice. Energy jingle to uh oh, what was the song good, you did? Good Riddance by, by Green Day. Yes, yeah, yeah you re- oh, it was yeah. A, it was amazing. It was so great. Um, I, I appreciate something you mentioned in there too. You referenced it to guitar, but now that you're coaching and training people to play hockey. You mentioned the fundamentals and I've seen these videos of you. You're what? Six, four, six, five, right? Yeah. To see a guy skate the way that you skate at your size is incredible. So that's like a big fundamental thing in hockey. We're like, I suck at skating. So naturally I suck at hockey. 
You know what I mean? And I feel like, especially for you training, like you mentioned earlier, like what's your, I don't know what your demographic is. We have a lot of younger listeners who are either playing hockey right now or coming up playing yeah. hockey. Is that something you think if there's anything that you got to drive home to be good at, it's skating. Like you got to nail your skating. Skating for sure. Um, like I, I asked the same question to Ryan Johnson, who's the head of player development. And like they actually Vancouver has been such a great organization to me overall. Even after I stepped out of the game, they brought me back to development camp to work as a, a trainer there. And, um, oh, wow. I got an opportunity to work with Jet Wu this summer and Carson Fott, who are two guys oh, in Utica now. And um, Jet is incredible. Yeah, he's awesome. They're both great kids. They're both awesome. And and working on the skating stuff because that's something that I I think I took a lot of time to to master. And um, you know, it's something that I continue to even work on today because I know that as a coach, if I, I'm a big believer that if you can't do it, then don't teach it. Um, like right. I just think that you kind of have to fill in those shoes. Like nobody wants to hire the fat personal trainer. So take care of your body. Same thing on the ice, right? If you can't do the skill, but you can explain it. Like it, there's just a level of authenticity that I think gets missed. And I think even at the NHL level, you can look at some coaches who maybe don't do so well it's because they didn't play. Um, you know, there's just a different level of respect for guys who can do it. But yeah, for a hockey player growing up, skating, I think is by far the most important skill. It's going to stay the most important skill. Um, it's the least fun skill to work on um it's it's just it's not enjoyable for a lot of people but when you get better at skating the door opens up for you so much especially if you're a bigger player and you can skate um that's something that i was always credited with was my ability to skate and it's like well i should because i work on it like every single day every hour of the day is skating and it's that edge work <laughs> right. stuff and and doing those boring but fundamental things over and over and over again um that lead to the result and now you know i can skate at an all-star level like I, I actually I was doing uh, I was going to create a post and I'm kind of training for it right now but I was like I'm going to skate a lap that McDavid skated um, and I've, I've been timing my laps and before everything shut down I was hit at 13.7 was how fast I was getting that lap oh, and it's cooking. I was like, <laughs> like I'm uh, yeah and it's like that's because I've been doing this for a long time and I know that um, you know, I can pick up that speed. Like I can skate at that level. I could, uh, that was never a problem. Even when I was in Utica, it was my skating. That was never the issue. I was a little faster than a lot of guys. Um, so teaching it now, it's fun to watch because you get to see guys like, for example, Jet Wu and, and Carson Fodd and, you know, um, who are already very talented and already have gifts to be able to take them and step them up another level um, and instill with them the same kind of mindset that I use in my training. Um, you know, I, I, it's, it's fun to watch. It's fun to see guys succeed. It's funny. Oh, sorry, Jelta. Go ahead, buddy. You gonna get no, I was, oh, was going to say, you know, we talk about like fundamentals and skating and um, you hear the term thrown around a lot, like player has to grow into his body or this player plays on his stick too much. Um, and I'm not hockey. I'm not hockey dumb, but sometimes I hear that and I'm not really too sure what that means. I mean, do you like when a player is as big, you know, a big specimen as you, or you see these guys like Tyler Myers, or you see guys even like, um, uh, Braden McNabb, you know, guys like that, when they say that they're, they need to play more with their body. Is it an adjustment, you know, as you put on weight every year to be a little bit bigger, to be a little bit faster when they say play with your body a little more, is it just kind of getting comfortable with, you know, how hard you can hit someone or, or, you know, is it more take just, a hit even yeah, make a hit even, I guess, I guess I'm just, when people use that term, I kind of just say, Oh, you know, it's just another way of saying that a player is just not used to being out on the ice, I guess. Yeah, so I think it depends on the context. Like, so for example, if you use a younger prospect, let's say who grew like mm -hmm. four inches in the summer, which happens all the time um, at the junior level, 
you know, they might have some inefficiencies because they're, they're awkward and gangly and, you know, they haven't really put a lot of size. Like NHL is just such a crazy sport all the way around. Like when you look at um, the NFL, for example, like these guys are coming out of college, most of them into the NFL, like they're coming out as men. You look at, you know, a high school kid coming out of, you know, junior hockey and going right into the NHL at 18 years old. But sometimes they haven't grown into their bodies yet. They don't even understand their own strength or where they're going to be in, let's say, five, ten years. When now, you know, six years down the road, now they're more manly. Um, you know, I think that for, for one kind of context is they need to understand the coordination in their body to lose some of it when you grow, um, especially in skating. I think another context is just um, being harder on the puck. So, for example, if you're a bigger guy, um, you, it's, you shouldn't get the puck bumped off your body a lot. You shouldn't lose the puck because you can protect it. You have such a wide wingspan. You got long legs. Um, and, you know, that might be in a context that they're using that where they're either not physical enough or they're not protecting the puck well enough, maybe on a net drive or something like that, where they're not getting wide and using their body to an advantage. Um, you know, uh, I've seen players who just don't even understand their own strengths um, and still are very physical. Like I skated with Robin or gear when I was in junior he was from Saskatchewan and uh, a big dude <laughs> he, he was like with a pusher finger like this and you'd like fly six feet back in the boards and he's like oh sorry like I didn't I didn't know <laughs> right like he's just like that big of a guy and he doesn't even understand his own strength and I think some players are like that as well where you you grow and you turn from a child to a man and they don't even understand their own strength like McEwen I would say like he's a big kid and he probably doesn't even understand how much strength he has um, yeah. in, in his game, right? Where he's still a young guy and he might look at a, a Getzlaff, for example, who's another big guy. Well, he could tangle and body up and go through guys because he's a big kid, but he might not even have realization of his own size yet. And he hasn't for sure manned out yet either. Right. Like 27, 28 years old is when we kind of hit our cap as sure. um, like the primary athlete, I guess you could say. So I think, you know, there's lots of different ways to use that context. Um, I'm, I'm not so sure if I answered the question correctly, but I, I think I, you did. No, you did. You answered <laughs> yeah. it well. I, I, I liked the way you kind of mentioned it too. It made me think of, I, I want to say you guys, I don't know how much you played together, if at all, but a guy that's in the Canucks organization right now with the comments, Cole Lind. I know he played a lot in the, in the yeah. WHO, but that's like kind of what you're saying is exactly what Cole's deal has been the last couple of years watching him. He's like, he's a biggish guy and he's really talented and he's a good skater, but like you can tell he hasn't quite grown into his game yet. And every year, the more he grows into the game, the better he gets. It's like every year he's more comfortable with even just being himself, like being a physical player. And I think that's something, especially like a big guy for you that like started, especially later, that was probably a real tough adjustment for you, especially just like, okay, I need to figure out like what I can do. And then here comes these other teams have to deal with this six, four mountain of a person who can skate like Kendall Smith coin coming around the boards it's insane <laughs> yeah no it's definitely adjustment um you know i think where i really noticed it the most is when i transitioned to pro um because i quickly realized in junior that i didn't have a lot of consequence um in terms of physicality for my actions like it, it's just a different game um i was i've been this size since i was like 15 obviously oh, i put on a lot more muscle and, and i've grown a lot um but like I was playing at 6'4", 240, and I was, like, 6% body fat. Like, I was lean. Um, and, like, I, you know, I just uh, – I was, like, a linebacker on the ice. Like, I was just yeah. so much bigger than everybody else. Um, and I so, in juniors, like, it's, there was nobody that could compete with my size. And even if I was fighting guys who were a lot bigger, um, I knew that I was a better skater so I could get away with it. And when right. I went to pro, 
I started going up against guys who were my size and were men and um, men's punches hurt and they're physical <laughs> and they're big and they don't budge and they don't whine. And so, um, you know, it, it takes a little bit of adjustment to realize like, you know, you, you have to grow into that. Even as a young kid at 20, I could handle myself really well, but um, there's guys who've been doing it for a lot longer and they're a lot bigger and stronger and it just takes time to grow into your body. And I don't think I played long enough to even get the, the um, full growth of what I could be um, in terms of physicality wise. Like I'm, I'm bigger or if not stronger now than I was when I played. Um, but, you know, I was already a kind of man child coming into the league. And for, for Lynn's example, that's exactly what it is. Like I've, right. I've, I've seen him very briefly in the tournaments and he's still a very much a kid who is going to go through a little bit more of a growth spurt. Um, and he's, and that I think is going to come on with the muscle and everything else later on where he's going to notice his endurance, his physicality, his confidence will continue to grow because now he's not like a, you know, I, I remember Milan Lucic was somebody that everybody talked about because he was just like a refrigerator on ice. Right. And like Cole Castles hit him one year and like, I don't even think Lucic was looking, he hit him and like, I think he broke his collarbone or something. And it's like Lucic sneezed and he broke his collarbone. Like that's how big these guys are, right? Like it's, it's different kind of humans. And they've been doing, you have to think like they've been putting the same amount of effort for the same amount of longer than you've been alive. Some of these guys like Char's right. been got freaking underwear older than half his <laughs> on the ice. <laughs> and he's been there for how long, right? Right. Oh, that's so, yeah. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that too. Like, cause like back to Cole, but like, I, cause I'm a senior ticket holder for the comments and I see, I, so I, I literally, I know yeah. everything about all of you guys. It's just part of my job as a season. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, last year I saw Cole skate on the ice for the first time. I go, Whoa, he looks like he put on like 15 pounds. Like, what are we doing here? It's in the same thing again, or like a guy like Vinny Arsenault, who's an apartment building on skates. Basically he doesn't even, he's not even a big, he's not even a big guy, but when he hits people into the boards, it sounds like a wrecking ball. I'm like, what is happening? I mean, dude, it's crazy. When you said you, you know, you feel like you're definitely stronger now, like no desire to like, why'd you hang him up? You didn't want to go play overseas. You didn't want to give it another crack or is there any reason why, or you just thought you yeah, were better so off doing something else? I, uh, I kind of weighed my options. I weighed my options a lot. So when I was in Vancouver, obviously, um, after my first year as a 20 year old, they wanted me to play forward. They sent me back. I came back to spring camp and they were like, Hey, surprise, you're going to go back on D. We think you're more comfortable there. And I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. Um, I don't care whatever it takes. And I went back and I played a whole year in Alaska when Alaska was still in the league. Um, in the ECHL and I was a very good ECHL player I was playing top minutes as a young kid you know 30 minutes a night um, and then I got a couple stints to get called up my last year with Utica I was in Kalamazoo and I played a little bit up in, in there and I could tell that my skill set was always equal but I just I didn't I couldn't think the game fast enough I didn't have the repetitions I wasn't getting the opportunity that I wanted to see for me to really make a big difference um, and you, and you see it at this level where there's some guys who come up from the East coast who do extremely well and then get back sent back down to the East coast because of contracts, because of something right. else. And, um, I think I was really realistic with myself because one, I, I never seen the NHL as like this end all be all for myself. Um, I didn't even think that was something in my playbook when I started playing hockey. 
I think a lot of kids grow up at six years old and it's like, dad's like, you're an NHL player, you're an NHL. If you don't make the NHL, like our lives as a family is over, right? Like you're just like, you just tarnished the legacy. Yeah. You're socially conditioned all your life. Like, this is it. This is it. And I didn't have that. I came to the game late. And so I was like, cool. Like I want to play hockey. I want to get better. This is amazing. I'm getting an opportunity. I got drafted. Um, I'm where a lot of people would die to be. And I worked for that. Um, and after that season, my last year with, uh, the Vancouver, my contract expired and I didn't resign. Um, the only thing that came up was uh, Toledo, which was in the ECHL. And so I signed a deal with them and I went to the Detroit Red, Wing, Red Wings camp and I trained my ass off that summer. I did extremely well um, to the point where I was an East Coast like pity invite and I was the last cut from the team to go back down to minors. They sent all the AHL guys back. They sent all the East Coast and they kept me because they wanted to like send a message and say like, hey, stay motivated. Um, you know, we want to keep you. And so I played a couple of games with Grand Rapids, um, did well. But again, like the contracts were big enough that I couldn't budge those guys out. They're not going to give up a $300,000 a year guy for somebody who's peanuts. Um, and at the same time, too, I think you have to get realistic with yourself and just say, if you're that good, you're going to be there. If I was that good, then you wouldn't, I wouldn't have got sent to the East Coast, right? I wouldn't have played lower in the, in the AHL. And the jump from East Coast to the HL is a big jump. The jump from HL to NHL is an even bigger jump. Um, and, you know, I looked at my surroundings and I've seen guys who are 27, 28 years old um, and are living in mom's basement, working the golf course job, getting paid 400, 500, 600 bucks a week. You know, even guys in the, in the AHL, there's some guys that are on PTOs who will be there all season getting paid 35 grand, which right. I was paying 25,000 a summer to train. So, right. like, <laughs> I'm like, it's not what, working what am I going to do, right? Yeah. Am I going to, I'm going to live out this dream and am I going to tell myself that, you know, I can eventually make it when in reality statistics are working against me every single year after that, or should I apply myself somewhere else and know that I have time because as a pro athlete, you don't have time. You have a very short window for success. And every year that window gets smaller and smaller and smaller until it, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, my offers over in Europe were okay, but again, I didn't want to go travel the world by myself in the country I didn't speak the language in when I could have gone home. And I think, um, you know, another thing too, is like when I came home for the summers, like I didn't party, I didn't drink, I didn't hang out with a lot of friends. Um, I isolated myself. I trained from six in the morning till eight at night, every single day I was on a routine and then I went off for the season. So for the past 10 years or so, or longer than that, 12 years, I had literally zero social life, zero anything, because I was so obsessed and so focused on succeeding that I'm going to transition into hockey and just put everything I can into it and like just beat on my body all day long. Um, well, that routine gets old when the reward isn't as high as playing in the NHL. Right. And realistically, um, even if I still grinded my ass off and still tried at best, I think I could probably break an NHL roster and do okay. Um, but I knew it was going to be nothing in comparison to what I can contribute um, away from the ice and working as an entrepreneur for myself. And if I put that same level of effort and discipline into what I'm doing away from the rink, I'll probably see better success and I'll be able to have a life again. I'll be able to right. <laughs> do, you know, I'll be able to eat a muffin and not feel guilty about it every day. Or, <laughs> like just, and I, and I don't have to worry about, you know, some guy who's coked up in the East coast who wants to punch my face and I got to be the guy to answer the bell. You know, it's, it's all on my own grounds now. So, um, yeah, and, and I don't regret that at all. Um, that was one of the best decisions I made was to step away from the game. Um, right. You know, I've, I've done really well for myself in the, the past couple of years here. So, 
that's that, that's really incredible to, to to think about you know that's a huge that's like a life-changing decision too you know you're still a young kid it's like you're still young yeah. too like it's crazy to think you know, as we're talking to you you talk about how you dedicated your life to hockey from age 12 up until you know you you get looked at to go play uh you know for for vancouver i mean that's incredible that you d- devoted yourself but you still have all this time left where you know a lot of these guys are still trying to crack an nhl roster just to say they made it like that, that's an incredible thing to to kind of come to that realization that you spent all that time you were a little tired out by it but here's what you want to do now and it just it's 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 incredible to hear that you're enjoying life a little bit more these days not having to get up so early in the morning and beat your body to shreds but instead you're you know maybe beating your head against the wall because one of your players just doesn't doesn't get it no i'm just saying but <laughs> yeah. it's probably a lot easier to to give back to the game this way uh you know and, and you have a whole life ahead of you to do it without any serious injuries considering you were you were chucking nucks what almost every night so, well, yeah, that's it. especially in like in the A, a big guy like him. That's like the jungle. You know what yeah. I mean? Like even guys in your own team are like, hey, hey Mac, right. nice shift. But they're hoping you blow your ACL out so they get on the power play. <laughs> right. Like, you know? It's crazy. And, it's and cra- that's it. You know, I just came to the realization that um, it's having going like inward, I guess you can say, where I just ask myself the really hard questions, like in reflection of what is it that I really want? Because um, if it's you know, I think a lot of players get lost in that process where it then becomes away from like guys learn to hate the game because they don't enjoy it anymore. Um, it feels like work again. And exactly that. Nobody's your friend. You're isolated when you're playing in the AHL and you're sitting out every night in the stands and everybody else is playing. You're not really a part of the team. Um, you don't fit in. So there's a lot of like kind of just mental stress you have on yourself as a player where, where, where do I fit in? Where, what is realistic for me to expect? Um, and what is it that I truly want? And I think when I asked myself those questions, it was, I wanted to succeed because of, um, you know, I wanted to make the people around me really proud. I wanted to make my coaches proud, my parents proud, you know, my girlfriend proud. Um, I wanted to kind of prove it to myself that I, I could do it. Right. We, I had all these external factors around me, but when I kind of really dug down and, and asked myself the question, like, even if I made it, would I truly be that happy? Because the grind wouldn't stop. It wouldn't be like, Hey, you made it to the NHL. Congratulations. You don't have to fight anymore. Or, you don't have to continue to sacrifice. Like you might get that one game and then boom, 15 years of your life goes by for what, you know what I mean? Because I wanted to make my coach proud or is it because we live life because we want to do what we want to do on our own terms to make ourselves happy. Um, and so when I came to the realization that I wasn't really doing it for myself anymore, I was doing it for other people. Um, I knew that uh, that was time for me to walk away. Cause at the end of the day, you're never going to succeed with that, that kind of mindset. You help uh, regular everyday people get their shit together. Just asking for a friend. I'm just curious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, a, bi- a big thing. Well, which serious. Like, <laughs> I want to get into what you're doing now because a big thing I've noticed just from listening to other interviews with you and like going through your socials and stuff, a big thing that you really preach to like these kids or like whoever, I don't know, uh, almost 30 year olds who are learning how to skate. <clears throat> um <laughs> is like the mindset and it's basically like what Conzi's saying. So like, how do you get into that? Like, cause what you're doing right now is awesome. Like it, it really is. If you could tell us all about that, it'd be just awesome. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, how I got into it was working on myself, I guess. I think it started with that question with that moment when I decided um, to quit. And it was kind of a funny story when I quit, like it was literally, um, I remember I was in Toledo and my agent like told me to go there at the time. He's like, you're going to love it there. Toledo's going to win the league. I think they ended up going all the way to the finals, like great team, great players. Um, but I was living in like the slums of Detroit. And I was like, you know, I feel like I'm a little, I'm like slim shady in this place. I don't belong. 
It's really and, slums. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not like a place not for a nice. boy from Calgary. No. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, I got this beautiful city back home. I got you know all these other things to look forward to. And and in the summers, um, like, I again when I signed my contract, I knew that it wasn't going to be forever. And so when I got paid, I put as much of it as I could away, and I continued to work. Um, I didn't just take the summers off and go buy myself a new Benz and you know live the dream. I was like, I gotta kind of you know, this is my lottery ticket. I'm going right. to put it away and sit on that and, you know, respect that this is a gift, not something uh, that everybody comes across. And so I was doing personal training at the time. I was kind of trying to work for myself even during the summers. Um, and it's something I just found I had a really big passion for was, was personal training and helping people um, achieve their fitness goals. And it wasn't just, um, you know, like hockey players I was helping, although majority of my clients were, it was just everyday people um, who, you know, are living life and get a, kind of as a trainer you're kind of a psychologist slash mentor slash best friend who you know you're kind of paid to be a friend you're a hype deal. man you're a hype yeah man. you're a hype man right like lift that shit up don't be a pussy yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but do it safely right safely you're like you're like the little john of, we gotta of get the gym training. to retweet that bro yeah it's <laughs> got to get cut right there yeah. But, uh, but no, yeah. So, so I found out that I really liked that part. And so when I, when I walked away and I decided to quit, um, I, I was sitting alone in my room and I was like, Hey, well, I'm, I'm starting to notice that my, my habits are slipping. I'm not as motivated to go to the rink. Um, I really cared about my body. So I really wanted to work out and, and look good, but it wasn't necessarily because I wanted performance in the game. I was like, dude, I want a bigger chest and back. Like I want to be a model, not a hockey player. <laughs> and, uh, so Dude, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to, kind of look inwards a little bit and started kind of reflecting. I ended up talking on uh, to some psychologist and I was applied for, you get like two calls and that's it. Then you got to start paying for it. So I took my free call. I didn't even call her back for the second one, but we had this long conversation. She basically just asked me that question was, Hey, like, why, why do you do it then? Like, what would make you happy? If you had this option, would you do this? And I was like, Oh yeah, of course. Like if I could go home and I knew that I could be a personal trainer and succeed, of course I'd walk away from hockey, but my responsibilities and this and this she's like well there's your answer and so i packed up all my shit that night called the coach i was like yeah i'm done and i got to the rink and they were like what the fuck they packed my gear up in a garbage bag um and they sent me a piece of paper and they would kind of wanted to call my bluff on it because they're like if you sign this you're officially retired which means you cannot go back anywhere you cannot like just go home and then a month later be like hey like, you know, I, I, shit, I made the wrong choice. I'm going to go play for a different team where, you know, I might want to play in the first place. He's like, you either sign on this side and we'll let you go home. You have a little break. And if you want to come back, we own your rights. Or you sign on this time, you're officially retired. You never pick up the stick again. And I was really like, retired, officially. I'm not coming back. Um, I knew that at that time that I wasn't going to come back. And I basically was like, you can fucking keep my gear if you want it because I'm not touching it. And left. Um, came home and I was like instantly when I landed, I could just like my whole body, I was like electric. I was so excited. I was like, I haven't been this excited about something in a long time. Um, and then all my dreams got crushed because in the first month I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a personal trainer. I'm going to do this for myself, be an entrepreneur. Um, okay. Now I know nothing about anything of real life because I'm a hockey player. Everything's just handed to you. Right. You live in a different world. Right. Things are organized. It's like, it's not as easy as like, Hey, go shake a couple hands and now people are going to pay 80 bucks an hour to be a personal trainer. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's not, it doesn't work like that. And that's what I thought. So for the first like three months, it's like, shit, like I'm not doing anything. I couldn't get a client to save my life. Right. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I got to figure out a couple of things that are going to be important in business is going to be sales and marketing. And when I got into sales and marketing, I started reading a lot. Um, and I got started getting obsessed with 
personal development and mentorship and um, watching leaders around me and other people who have been very successful and um, a credit to just kind of looking inwards again, like I talked about, led me to that mindset of like, I wish I would have known a lot of these things when I played. Um, I wish I would have known a lot more about um, confidence, a lot more about how to achieve success, successful habits, why we have the conversations we have with ourselves in our head, um, social conditioning, kind of um, when you talk about things that we hold in and we don't talk about, it becomes kind of our shadow world. And if we allow too much of our shadow or our subconscious to catch up on us, then that's our works. We have more parts working against us than for us. And that's when you start to hear things like you can't and you won't and you're lazy and don't get up and the alarm goes off and you get depressed because we've internalized so much and we don't allow ourselves to have that confidence. I'm like, I can't imagine how many players I've had conversations with that pro who are suffering the same thing that I'm suffering, but don't realize that there's a way out of this. There's a way to ask yourself these questions and a release from that. Because I think lots of guys just get caught up in playing to play because that's all they know. Like, what am I going to do? Go home and bag groceries at Walmart? Like, I don't have an education. I played junior hockey. I have a high school diploma. Um, how can I succeed in this world? So that became my new mission is like, how can somebody who has basically no formal training um, succeed? And it started mentally. It started for me with the mindset. It started with, I had to believe that I was worth it. I had to believe that this was possible. Um, I had to find ways to make things work. I had to hustle. I had to grind. Um, I didn't just wake up and start going into business and being successful. And what I realized is the more I invested in myself, the more I invested in my mindset, the more I invested in these habits, these routines, which I already was doing for hockey and I started doing it for life. Um, the wheel started turning. I started seeing a little bit of success. I got a job at a box gym and I crushed it. I sold a hundred thousand dollars worth of training in the first month. And I was the number one trainer. I walked away after six months. I tried personal training again, um, trying to get my own clients and I failed again and I stumbled, but I kept pushing along, following the process like I did in hockey. And, um, I ended up getting a job at a dealership while I was doing both. So I was selling cars slinging whips as a retired hockey player following the stereotype and uh and then uh (laughs) and then doing my side business doing my business of developing hockey players doing the mentorship and working on the personal the personal side and um uh, after three months at the dealership i was able to walk away and completely replace my income with what i'm doing now um and in the first i guess full fiscal year that we had last year i made a hundred thousand dollars as an entrepreneur um, just proving that i could make it work um, by investing in myself. And so when I have these conversations with my clients and I go over the mindset stuff, I go over into the belief, the power of habit, um, what we're willing to give up, what we're willing to do to push through. Now we see a ton of success and it's a lot about the circle you have around you. Um, I have mentorships. I had amazing mentors growing up in hockey. I have an amazing support circle. Like my girlfriend does all my marketing and all my social media stuff online to make it look good because I don't know how to do any of that stuff. It looks great. Um, She does a great job. Yeah, she does a great job. Like she, she, and again, she invested in herself, does the research. Like we both are kind of in on this journey together. Um, and same thing with like my, my business coach that I hired. He's somebody who I really respect and admire and has lived in that circle. And I think the next big step for me is um, getting these kids to be successful in life is more important than what it is for hockey for them. And that's what I tell their parents is I care more about their journey as a person than I do about their journey as a hockey player. It's not just about getting better. Um, you have to, you have to have some sort of skill sets going later on. Um, and eventually I want to bring it back into hockey players who are at the pro level, who are, were stuck like me or felt stuck and say, Hey, like you have more than one option in life and everybody has more than one option. It's not just hockey players. It's everybody. 
success is a bunch of insignificant choices that we make every single day where, you know, I, I ate a donut today. It doesn't fucking matter. But if I keep doing that every single day, then, you know, all of a sudden it's going to catch up to me. I'm going to wake up and be like, well, shit, it was just a donut. Right. But we don't realize that that's the decisions that we're making subconsciously and consciously every single day that slowly lead into the lives that we don't want, which leads into depression and everything else and the sickness. And, um, you know, it's just all starts with the ladder. We got the Gary via hockey. It's, it's, it's funny. It's <laughs> funny. It's funny. You bring, you bring all that up because, uh, I just finished a book recently called it takes what it takes by Trevor Moat. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but, yeah, uh, yeah. He's a positivity coach. He's been in the best college locker rooms, uh, Alabama, Florida State. And his best friend is Russell Wilson. And he talks about Russell Wilson just after that interception he threw against New England in the Super Bowl where he lost that Russ was in the film room the next day watching highlights of that game, of that season, in a dark room to um, down in the valley by the head and the heart. And he told Trevor – that he wanted to never get sacked again. He never wanted to fumble. He never wanted to make that mistake. And he came back the next year, and um, I believe he outran almost everybody. And the only reason I know that is because he was my fantasy quarterback the next year. But um, <laughs> but you talk about mindset, and it's incredible just how strong the mind is. And it's, it's incredible that, you know, you have to have what's called neutral thinking. And it seems like what you just said, every step of the way you had a neutral mindset was like, okay, like – you know, this happened, but I also have this to fall back on, or I know I'm good at this. I'm going to move forward. Um, you know, is there a time where maybe you see a, a player that you're, that you're developing where you see some of the same traits and do you, you know, it, can it be difficult at times to kind of break it down and car, uh, compartmentalize it for the younger, younger kids, or are these kids, you know, pretty much receptive to anything, you know, that you, that you show to them. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I'll kind of go into two parts in that question because mm -hmm. I, I like what you brought up about how I didn't want to get sacked and then he came back and was like the greatest. Yeah. Um, one of the books I recommend any athlete in the world start reading like today is called Relentless by Tim Grover. And mm -hmm. Tim Grover is a trainer for Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and Dwayne Wade. I know him. And if anybody knows anything about Kobe Bryant, the guy was an absolute workaholic. Um, he would be training till 3.30 in the morning before the finals the next day. Like just a freak of nature, these guys. And he has basically 13 rules to live by. Um, so to put that into perspective for a couple things, um, one, for any athlete listening, um, you get to define what success and failure means to you. So, you know, prior to the contrary of like thinking, oh, if I don't make it, I'm a failure, that life is nothing but a bunch of obstacles and things that go up and down and you make decisions around those and you get to define what success and failure is to you. And the best of the best know that there's more than one way to get what you want. So for Tim Grover in his book, he talks about, he desperately wanted to be an NBA player, but he was short. He had injuries. There was no way that was going to be possible. So what did he say? So I'm going to train the best fucking athletes in the world and be the best at it. And he wrote a letter to Michael Jordan, took Michael Jordan and trained him. And all those athletes give credit to Tim Grover for making them successful. Um, and so he found a new outlet. He found a new way to make it happen for himself. Um, and I think, you know, as people, we get so sucked into what success might be in comparison to what your parents want, to what your friend's circle might think, to what society thinks. And we don't take time to ask ourselves, well, what makes us happy, right? If you if playing, uh, Tony Robbins talks about this, right? That I've seen his mentorships where he talks to people and they say, how much money do you think you need to be successful? And people are like, I need 60 million people or million dollars and, and I'll then finally be happy and successful. And he's like, okay, well, what do you want? Well, I want a jet. I want a yacht. I want to be able to travel wherever I want. And he breaks it down. He's like, 
realistically, you need like maybe 25 million. So what are you going to do with the extra 30 some million that you think you need to be successful? Right. Same thing with, with people is that we don't ask yourself that question. If I want to sit down and play call of duty for eight hours a day, and that's my dream goal. And like, if I could do that all day and be happy, then start making decisions that are going to lead towards that and lead towards a freedom that you can go and play eight hours of call of duty all day, despite what everybody else thinks. Right. I think for, for athletes coming up, um, to, to move into the second part of the question about how do I compartmentalize and kind of do a needs assessment with each client to figure out where they are in that mental process. Um, I would say that it was probably a best decision I made to retire because the kids coming up are going to be insane. Like Connor McDavid is, is a generational player, but I think there's going to be a bunch of them based on the discipline and focus that these kids have at this young age. I knew that when I was 14 years old and 15 years old, you know, like me going to power skating three times a week was like, nobody was doing that. Like these kids have a shooting coach, a mental coach, a team coach, three different hockey teams that they're trying out for at one time. And they're working on their skills eight hours a day. Like it's insane, the commitment level that these kids have. So I think it's almost a reverse for them where, okay, how do we figure out what's worth our time and what's not worth our time and manage our emotions and feelings and commitments to the point where we're not getting burnt out by the time we're 18 years old. Because we know that you desperately want to make it, but you also have to invest in giving some time back for yourself. And you look at some of the best athletes, they're multi-sport athletes. Um, you know, some of them are very, very talented. Don't get me wrong. They work very hard, but they also know how to manage their time. Tom Brady is a perfect example of that. Um, he talks about in his book how actually doing less created more for him. Um, and not to get like all like spiritual into it, but like, you know, life is a lot of yin and yang, meaning that we either are exerting or we're taking in. And if we have a balance between those two, we'll find a homeostasis where we'll actually perform at a high level. And lots of times as men, we are, are very um, yin, meaning that we exert our energy out. We like to push on everything. Working out is a very yin emotion. Um, like we like to solve problems as men again. So we fall into a lot of yin and we don't have enough yang. And Tom Brady did the opposite where he does a lot of the stretching and kind of not what you would call traditional working out. And now he's probably the greatest athlete to ever live with seven rings. And he's continuing to make those big steps. So it's finding a, a rare balance between the both for not only their mental, but their training, their diet and nutrition, which I'm a big fan of and a huge believer in um, what you put into your body is going to create an outcome and it's going to, you know, depending on the toxicity levels in your body, you're going to have a different mindset based off of that. Um, you're going to have more clarity when you eat healthier foods. You're going to feel better when you're, you're moving and you're getting fresh air each day. You're taking the time to, again, look inwards and ask yourself those questions. I find lots of athletes are so push, 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 but we don't reflect on, you know, a five-minute meditation in the morning, affirmations, self-suggestion, um, you know, the ability to have integrity in our word. Right. So whatever the commitments that we make for the day, we have to make sure that we get them done. Otherwise, we're basically screwing up our, or our subconscious mind. Um, these are all things I take into perspective and, and try and teach and put onto them, but then find out where they are in that needs process. Some kids need a push and a kick in the ass and like, hey, get on your horse and let's go. And other kids are the reverse where it's like you need to learn how to take some pressure off yourself and learn what it is that you truly want. And even if it is the NHL, let's be realistic with what we're trying to accomplish and take it one baby step at a time and not try and, you know, make it tomorrow. Right. 
I, I love that you mentioned that too about like how players right now, because like obviously I'm a Rangers fan and one thing that people love to give me a hard time about is like how Lafreniere has no personality. And it's just like, when, after all the things you just mentioned, when would you like this kid to have developed a personality? Because he's had zero time to do it. Because all he's been doing, the same thing with like McDavid, is like these guys have been so busy <laughs> becoming freak athletes. And something, your Instagram with your business and everything, like I want you to plug that obviously. But one thing that you posted of all the cool tips that you've posted, the most important thing I think to me that stands out that you've posted on there is the most minimal thing. And you just made a little clip of bloopers of you like messing up skating. And I think that's, <laughs> So no, I'm I'm getting to this. No, this it's good. I, it's good. I think that's so important because it says these kids who look up to you like, hey, like this guy got drafted, blah, blah blah. But like he still has a personality. He can relax and breathe. Like you don't have to take everything so seriously. Like enjoy the ride while you're doing it because it's gonna end. For sure, and and you know one of the biggest things too for kids that I think I'll talk about more in, in the imperfections of things as well. But I think um, it's relationships. Like relationships are everything. Um, the relationships that I was able to build through hockey opened up doors for me later on. And that's why I can call up the head of player development and be like, you know, I can send him a text and I'll get a call right now. I'm like, Hey, RJ, like, what's up? I just want to ask you a few questions. And it's like, that's because I took the time to develop relationships everywhere I was going. And now as a player, um, a lot of the guys I played with or coaches that I grew up with, like I can get players in new opportunities because I have these relationships involved in, I'm sure, you know, 10 years down the road, there'll be even more because all those guys I played with will stop playing. Um, and I'll be able to call on those as well. Like, I'm sure um, you look back on, on anybody who participates in sports and those bonds, those relationships that grow people last a lifetime, and they can actually be very profitable for them outside of hockey. I think Eddie Lack, like he's selling real estate now, I think. I checked out his page a while ago, and it's like that all probably started because he had a relationship with somebody, and now it looks like he's absolutely crushing it. Um, you know, lots of these guys forget to develop those relationships coming up. And I think exactly that, like, I, I think too, in, in the hockey world, it, it kind of has to stop where we, we're not allowing personalities. Thank we're you. not allowing players to build brands. Thank like, you. Um, Subban gets a lot of ridicule because he, just talking about this. We just talked about this. Keep going. We love he, this. he gets a lot of ridicule because because he's doing the not normal of ho- of hockey, right? Like you get meetings as a player coming in, like don't post this, don't do that, don't have this, don't post your views or opinions on anything, and you know we become this very robotic, like old style culture. And hockey's culture is very very old. Um, it's we are in like the fifties in terms of where we are not only with openness around um, like different communities, like it's a predominantly white sport, but also in terms of like, I think there's like one guy who came out gay before he mm-hmm. uh, yeah. started playing. Like I'm sure there's numbers scores of guys that I played with who are probably gay and just would never say a thing because that would be like, you would, you would get shunned out this of the, old the boys club stuff. It's a very old boys club. And, and like, and not to, disrespect hockey and say like hey guys like this is a cult and nah 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 it's not about that I think it's because we've gone the media has been so easy to judge and so easy to twist things the wrong way that it's safer not to say anything than it is to put a personality out there Um, but I think in today's day and age that's probably one of the worst mistakes you can make if I could have started building my brand the day I got drafted and started talking about the inspiration in my journey frick I would have probably had a hundred thousand followers because I could leverage vancouver all the time right Right. jump on in front of the mic and jump in front of the people that have the audience and like even i've seen a couple nhl players now are like blogging and stuff they're writing like post game blogs and it's like dude people love that people love having Um, that interaction 
Adam Gaudet with the Canuck. He's got like 4.5 thousand followers on Twitch right now. He's crushing it. And, and it's, it's incredible too, not to interrupt you there, Mackenzie, but even like the Players' Tribune, like what Derek Jeter was able to accomplish with getting players' voices out there and how they truly feel and giving them a platform was incredible. I oh, mean, it's, it's, and, it's, and you know what? The thing too is like as soon as you have that audience, it's not going anywhere. So like Subban has done an amazing job of building his brand. He's been doing it for a long time. He's a big personality. Like Shaquille O'Neal was the same way when he's in the NBA. I've listened to a lot of his interviews. He's pretty inspirational. And like, he talks about, um, he's like, I knew I wasn't gonna be like Michael Jordan with the shoe companies. And like, I just wasn't gonna be the greatest. He's like, I could be funny. And people would like me because I'm funny. And he built a brand around being funny. And like the guys doing commercials all the time, people see Shaq and you instantly get a smile on your face. Like Subban, it's the same thing. He's built such a great brand around himself now that he can do the YouTube thing and it's not weird. He can do all these other kind of extravagant, weird things that, you know, he's like an influencer now and he has this giant brand. Well, when he decides to retire, that audience, he can monetize that in a heartbeat. He can turn it on to a, I'm going to run a hockey camp here. I'm going to sell a t-shirt doing this. I need money to help raise for these kids or that hospital. And because he's built up such a big audience and such a big fan base, people will back and support him. And there's guys in the NHL right now who are just like, we miss the opportunity to have the personality to have that um, audience build up. And it could be a complete license to print money down the road for these guys. That I think is something that they should be paying attention to, even at the minor league level. Um, like, for, like you said, Utica's fans are insane. Like if any one guy on Utica decided to post regularly on social media, the day in the life of a comet, he would have 8,000 of the best freaking fans on social media supporting him. Like literally. Right. Right. No. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy to me that lots of guys, I wish I would have capitalized on that when I was playing. Yeah. I, and and I, but I love the direction you went with too, because especially now, like uh, take mentioned like the comments, like what you're doing now, like with your online coaching stuff and all this, like you hit, like such a gold mine, especially with what happened in the world the last like year and a half, because you're like already ahead of it. And it's just like, now, like I can go in the comments, Facebook group and I'm going to share this podcast I did with you and people are like, Oh, I remember him. But like, Oh, by the way, you need somebody to like help your kid like with his skating. I talked to this guy for an hour plus on zoom. And not only is he very good at what he does, but he's a wicked cool dude. And I trust him with your kid learning to skate. Like, so yeah. I, I think this, like what you're doing, I think is so important. And I think it's so cool that you've managed to like, as you're kind of like, we're talking about right now, manage to have a personality where like, Hey, listen, hockey's fun, man. Like, this is cool. Like the TikToks you moonwalk backskating it's fun it's just fun to watch <laughs> yeah. dude it is it's awesome no, it is. it's funny. incredible it's personality something we don't see we talk about all the time yeah and, no, for and, sure. and the reason i say this is because one of my favorite players jack eichel playing for the sabers right now and i'm gonna say it and i don't care if i get ridiculed by sabers twitter the city of mm. buffalo just does not embrace jack eichel because his personality outs like he is actually a really cool guy off 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 the camera one of the coolest yeah. dudes ever, classic rock fan. But you wouldn't know that because everybody's just so infatuated with, I don't like the way that he looked in that interview. It's like, well, you, these guys are so controlled all the time. Yeah, like he doesn't speak like out. Austin Matthews got in a bunch of crap because he didn't wear a suit or whatever. He wants to right. wear his, his swaggy Mickey Mouse shirts or whatever the hell he wears. But like, it, who gives a crap? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it is what it is. And I think that there's so much that the fans miss in terms of that part of the game. And I think hockey will eventually have to figure it out because as hockey fans, we're all in this bubble of like, mm -hmm. it's the greatest sport ever, you know, like soccer players suck and football is okay, but it's mostly <laughs> running the ball and like anybody can do it. 
Um, you know, like we, it's just, there, there's something about hockey that's so unique about the sport. Right. And, um, we don't get the insider look like, man, we, you don't see Twitter battles on two NHL players. Like you do the NFL, oh. the guys like pass me the ball in practice or I'm out of here. And you're like, Holy shit, dude, this is awesome. Like, I love hearing <laughs> the animosity between two players in the dressing room. Right. And like, not saying that we need to transition into that culture, but it'd be nice to get a better inside look at people to see the real people, not just what the camera wants you to see. Mm-hmm. And I think hockey will have a hard time gaining a big audience in a lot of ways, um, even going down the road, because it's been very obvious, um, especially in the American, like the United States demographic. Like hockey was so popular in the 80s because it was barbaric, in my opinion. Right. I think mm-hmm. people loved hockey because you could go watch a Philadelphia Flyers game and you'd have somehow fans in the stands beating another guy with a shoe. Like where else on earth are you going to get entertainment like that, where you might actually get your ass kicked by somebody in skates, you know, like it's just, it was ludicrous. The stuff that they're going away with is criminal. And if you look back in like a human history, like gladiator violence, UFC boxing, like we thrive on, Hey, don't pick on the little guy, stick up for the others around you. Right. That tribe mentality. I think hockey back then was all about that for the fans. It's like, we love having this goon because we know that like our skill guy ain't going to get picked on because he's going to get out there and Derek Bugard is asked, right? Oh, yeah. I think in hockey today, we're missing that aspect and we're turn- they're trying to transition. And I don't, I don't agree that it should be all fighting and all this, but I do think that com- camaraderie and that tribal um, kind of atmosphere is getting missed because we're getting so strict on the rules with contact. We're getting so strict on the rules of um, fighting and everything else where it's like, I don't think we're realizing the consequences not only for um, the, the players, but the fans. Because right. that's what a lot of people come to see. I remember in the comments, like we were in a game, like I think we got my first pro game. You talked about like me getting 17 points. I fought in the first period. I got 10 minute misconduct. And then I got out of the box and I tried to fight the guy again. And <laughs> every Utica fan came out to me after that. And like guys scored a ton of goals. We won the game and all they could talk about was like, man, you can really play the game. And I was like, how would you know? I played like one shift. I was in the box the whole first and I didn't play after that. That's what we like here. That's- yeah. They love it. Right. And, but like, it is literally who doesn't love watching Ryan Reeves go out there and do a job. Oh, like yeah. it's just, it's amazing to watch two guys just go at it. And um, in reality, when guys are trained and they know what they're doing, and you're educated on how to fight properly, you don't see heavyweights getting hurt very often. Right. It's usually the two guys who don't know what they're doing who end up throwing punches that maybe shouldn't have landed and all of a sudden a fluke accident happens. But in hockey, like reality is, the guy who gets maybe one good shot in the face wins. But right. you're on a quarter inch of a blade swinging your fist around with zero momentum. If you know what you're doing, you're not going to get hurt. Um, I just, I, I don't know. That's my opinion. I think we're going to, have a tough time getting that kind of audience and that kind of personality because hockey is so about what their agenda is and what the NHLPA wants and what um, organizations want to protect their players um, on a bigger level from the fans. I think we're going to, we're going to end up after this. Now Mackenzie's going to have a, a, a learn how to fight tab on allegiance hockey. <laughs> yeah. Learn, learn some fundamental boxing tips. But, but so I know we talked just now about because I want to get into like your brand. I want to talk about a lot of your brand because up until and even after I release this episode, I'm probably going to share your stuff all the time. We're going to become Allegiance Hockey yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Stooges. But how did you get into like, so you said you started working on brand like Allegiance Hockey. Like tell me about like what's going on because right now it seems like you guys got everything that you would need to know as far as training on the ice, nutrition, all that. And I think it's so cool that it's like this one place you can get it and it seems like 
it's super accessible. Yeah, for sure. So um, how I started the brand, actually, I cheated a little bit. I stole a lot from Vancouver. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't steal uh, all their content, but I stole the idea because when you're a player in the NHL, they have everything. We have massage therapists. They have whatever you can think of. Like, you know, you tell somebody to shit and they'll do it for you. Like it's, it's insane how much resources they have available to each player. Um, and what I realized was at a younger level there, you have to go to everybody separately. I need to hire a different trainer. I need to hire a nutritionist. I need to hire a skills coach, skating coach. You know, I need to listen to my main coach and my hockey team. If I want to learn hockey IQ, I go to somewhere else for it. Um, as we're at Vancouver, what happened was they build us a program The Roger would basically, and, uh, all the other trainers, they would build a program for you for the summer. It's all based around your needs. And they'd show you how to work out properly when you got to camp. So you'd get like a, the 10 days at development camp. Here's how to do everything properly. Here's the teaching curve. Um, we're going to push you, you know, make it work a little bit harder. You get the skills coach um, who's showing you some of the skills. And then they had a giant video library for you to go through. And it's like, okay, if you follow these workouts and you do these skills and you follow these steps, you're going to see some sort of success because they can't possibly fly every single coach to every single player and work with them all summer because uh, they're all doing their own thing. And I was like, that's genius. Like, why don't they provide this to a level for kids growing up? And I Googled it and I looked around and like, there's guys who are doing it, um, but they have no experience of high level hockey. Like you see like hockeytraining.com is a big company right now who does something very similar to this. Um, and they do kind of like a one of, here's our little, you know, one package training program that you can buy. And he's an ex junior B player. Another guy was I train hockey who I was watching um, while I was still playing and I seen him grow this incredible brand for himself around just doing YouTube videos on, Hey, here's how to skate. And like right. the sad part was majority of it was wrong. And, but people just love it. And it's, and it's good content. It's good content for the audience that he's going after, right? He's going after the Joe blow. Who's never been on skates before. Hey, I want to learn the basics of hockey. And the guy's built himself a million dollar business off of it because he's just, he's done a very good job. Um, but there's nobody in that space who's doing this for elite players. So it's like, I'm going to put together a package where I'm not only going to do the personal training, but I'm going to do the nutrition because it's something that's really ignored. I'm going to do the personal development, um, not just mindset and talk sports psychology of like, hey, you know, tell yourself you're great before you are. But let's talk about the habits and routines. Let's talk about, you know, why you're screwing yourself up in a lot of ways. And the little things that you're doing right now in sport that lead to success later on in life. So developing that piece of it. And then we're also going to look into your skill set, into your skating, which I think is most important and your, um, and your hands and everything else. I'm not one to really teach a lot about stick handling. I steal a lot of that from other people, to be honest. Um, but the shooting, I can shoot. Okay. So I, I steal some of my own clips there, but, uh, yeah. So, and then we put it all together in a big media library and I'm very <laughs> selective with who I work with. Um, we do one-on-one -on -one training, but it isn't, uh, it's not like, hey, here's my online playbook, now go have fun. I get specific about the clients that I work with. I don't take on a lot um, because I want people who are motivated. I want kids who are going to play at the next level. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be a AAA player. I just need somebody who has the mental aspect, who wants to get better, who wants to succeed. I don't want you because your parents want you to do this. I want it because you want to do it. And I make that really clear. I turn people away because they're, very, they're playing at a very high level, but they just, they're just not willing to do the actions it takes. And I can't help um, if you don't want to listen and you don't want to work hard. Right. There's no solution to that problem. Um, so, yeah.
I wouldn't, ahead, I wouldn't worry about stealing anything from the Canucks. The Bruins stole a Stanley Cup from them in 2011. So oh. <laughs> you get the pass. You get the pass here, Mackenzie. Don't worry about it. I, I, back well, up on it. I like that you mentioned, because it's obviously I can't see what you do with every client or whatever, but like you're even super engaged on Instagram. And that's like really important because it shows you're not like a robot and we're not just doing this. I, I almost feel like if one of your kids isn't successful, it's really going to genuinely bother you. Oh, it, it makes me lose sleep at night. Jeez. I think like the, the biggest thing for me is like, um, you know, when I first got into it and it's like, you're asking people to put their trust into you, right? Like these, these people see my journey, they see the inspiration from what I've been able to accomplish and they truly believe and look up to me in the point where they're like, man, like I want to do what you did. I want to have some sort of success. And so to have that kind of level of responsibility on your shoulders with a young player, even if they have no means of making to the NHL, but just having the responsibility of being able to, teach them that lesson or, you know, get them to understand what it takes to be successful on any level, um, not just as a hockey player, but as a person, it's a huge responsibility. And I take it really seriously. Um, the fact that people are willing to trust me and trade their money uh, for my time. Um, that's a, that's a huge responsibility. They never want to take advantage of. So, you know, anything that I can do for a player, um, I'm going to go for bat for that player and in and end all and i you know i treat my clients as if they're my teammates and it's like i i feel like an overprotective parent sometimes because like <laughs> i'll be calling coaches and it's like you know i have some clients who maybe let's say aren't at the the elite of the elite they're no they're not jet blue they're not you know they're not western hockey league players but like they're really good kids and i want to see them succeed and i know if they get pushed or they get that little bit of opportunity it's like man you, you might surprise yourself and a lot of people don't invest or really take into consideration like we we overestimate what's possible in a year but we underestimate what's possible in three so like a kid who's like let's say 14 man by the time this kid's 16 who knows where he's going to be if i would have written my career off at 16 when i got cut from three junior b teams by 20 i wouldn't have been playing in the ahl right like you can do so much in a longer period of time and i don't think a lot of coaches see that they see the right here right now and it's like, it's the effort that they're willing to put in. I know that it works if you do it right. I know it works if you follow the methods that I give you. I know it works if you are willing to be obsessed and driven, you're going to see success. You're going to, you're going to develop, you're going to get better. And it's been proven time and time again with my clients. It's been proven time and time again with the kids that I helped mentor growing up. Like lots of kids I helped mentor. I found a kid, um, he's one of my you know, good friends now. He was 14 years old and he was like my height at a public shinny. Oh, Jesus. And uh, uh, he was wearing a BCHL jersey, like a junior A team out here west. And uh, I was like, holy shit, this kid plays junior B. Like, he's not that good. So that's good for me because I, <laughs> I might be able to play junior. Well, I found out he's 14 years old. And I was like, holy shit, you're huge. And I was like, you need to, you need to come with me and you're going to work out with me. You're going to do the power yeah. skating. You're going to do everything that I do. Word, match, match me pace for pace. And like, I would put a beating on this kid all the time to make him better. And now he's off playing NCAA hockey. And like, I was doing this while I was playing. Um, and like, uh, I've had so many stories like that where it's like, there's no, nobody's recreating the wheel. Like, let's be honest. Nobody's recreating nutrition. I didn't come up with keto diet. I don't believe in coming up with some crazy hockey exercise that's going to make you better. It's really simple stuff. You know, you practice the fundamentals over and over again until you become an expert at them. You work your ass off in the gym, you eat the right foods, you get the right amount of sleep, 
and you take the time to work on yourself and good things are going to happen regardless of what the process is. And I just kind of help refine that process. It's incredible. Dude, that's, oh. it's one of these kids, one of, one of Max kids is going to rake a cup one day. It's going to happen. <laughs> I hope so. He, so, said, uh, I, he said it so confidently. He's like, I hope so. Yeah, it's like, I hope so. So besides Instagram, you obviously have a website too. Now does your girlfriend do the website too? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I just tried to redo that. I had to figure that out. YouTube and Google are amazing. Like you can figure out majority yeah. of your life. That's how I started doing this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> majority of your life problems are solved on YouTube and Google. But uh, yeah, she does majority of the social media. So she's the one who gets creative. She's the one who kind of enticed me to get more personal on there and don't be a robot. Nothing has to be perfect. Um, you know, she started the TikTok account and got me doing all these weird ass dances and everything. Um, <laughs> it's, no, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's so good. new every week that she's got me doing. And I'm like, I'm not like uh, something she wanted me to do. Cause she's seen it on TikTok was the weekend after the Super Bowl. Um, you know, I had all those guys with the face wrapped around or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, the, she's like, I'm going to wrap toilet paper all over your head and you're going to come in the living room and you're going to pretend like you're on the set for the Super Bowl. And do this stupid dance and i'm like are you are you fisting me like i seriously have to put this on social media she's like people like it like it's trending right now go ahead so i, like I have a video somewhere on their phone of me in like this red jacket that i had from playing and toilet paper in my head trying to dance oh, no. <laughs> we'll have to do a TikTok duet sometime with you mackenzie we'd be happy to yeah that'd be awesome i hope yeah, so man. that'd be gosh, like a, a trender dude Absolutely. that's uh, so yeah so views. You got, you got allegiancehockey.com, right? There's you, Mackenzie Stewart yep. on Instagram. But correct me if I'm wrong too. You have a, I think there's a free trial in your LinkedIn, right? Or not your LinkedIn, uh, your LinkedIn. Yeah, so I have like a, a free trial right now. Actually, what I've been transitioning into is uh, if you join my email list, I give you basically like three or four videos that are explaining some skills that I think are really important. So we go over like a, a 10 or 20 minute video that's all about just your skating stride. So it explains how to develop your stride better. Um, and then the next video goes into how to develop your confidence as a hockey player or as a person, doesn't matter. Um, developing confidence. And then the last one is about shooting. And then we kind of all wrap it up into like this kind of course and an offer. So um, that's something that I've been trying to play around with is like kind of this email marketing thing of giving people a lot of value. So if you go on the website now, there's like 20 different times. It's like, hey, give me your fucking email sign up now um but if you do it you're gonna get some value you're gonna you're gonna appreciate everything that i put together because you get some inspiration you get some some videos that are going to show you how to you know skate a little bit better and some some things on my philosophy that i think are a little bit different than what you might see in the marketplace um and then right. if you like it then yeah let's let's talk dude it's so good i i so like i said i think your, your brand is super impressive i think you're doing i think you're absolutely killing it i'll probably have to get myself some free videos just so you know i gotta learn a thing or two <laughs> about trying to not fall down uh Kanzi, jonesy you guys got some stuff i feel like we oh, kept I'm you like, for a while here oh that's all good man this is awesome i love it this is ready to run through a wall with this kid jesus oh, yeah i'm gonna wake uh, up tomorrow at, tomorrow at four and i'm just gonna think of like <laughs> everything you said when i'm at the gym and i'm just gonna work it that much harder so thank you <laughs> There used to be this video I used to watch on YouTube and it was, uh, I got to find it, but there's this NFL guy who used to train and uh, I'll send it to you guys on an, an email or an Instagram. I'll, I'll find the video, but there's this, this guy on, or on uh, an NFL team and he's training his ass off the whole video. And it's this talk about a mentor. And he, he talks about like, you don't really want it that bad. And he, and he has Eric Thomas. Is this Eric Thomas? It might How be. bad he, do you want it? 
I, I don't know if it's that, but he, he, he basically says this. He's like, I went to this guru and he's talking about yep, money. Yep, he's like, I want to yeah. make money. E.T., baby, the hip-hop yeah, preacher. And, he, and he's like, he put him in the water and he's yes. drowning him. He's like, yeah. when you want as bad as you want to breathe, that's when you'll make it. And there's like this three-minute clip that somebody made of this NFL guy doing like insane shit. Yeah. And he's got like a 16-pack abs. He's sweating <laughs> off. And he's like, you don't have to, you're going to succeed when you have to pay me a dime to do what you do. Dude, man, I, I must've listened to that thing 10 billion times. This all makes a lot of sense now. And, uh, <laughs> yep. yeah, man, that thing is super inspirational. And there's been so many little like kind of things like that, where it's like, I wish I could do something to that level of effect for other people where, you know, you really inspired to the point where people change. Well, let me tell you, I listen to that on repeat every morning on my way to the gym. It just, it's, oh That's, man. It I recommend it to everybody. Man. It's like the best. But when you watch it with the guy working out too, yep. you're like, so much better. It, this is insane. Then you watch we, Friday Night Lights. So anyways. Yeah. You yeah. need to make a YouTube video with Eric Thomas over you training hockey and working oh, out and stuff. Dude, awesome. you got to do it. It would be amazing. Because there's nothing like that in the hockey space right now. Like everything that's not a highlight is like, hey, Barber, falling over. You know what I mean? Like, that's it. Yeah. So, like, you could really stand out. I think it'd be really cool, man. Something like that would be awesome. I'm going to write that down. That's a great idea. Yes, so you have like that. Look at that. Mastermind here. So, you're going to see a trend on Dom, We're trend good on at TikTok. something. Well, that's the thing. Is like, like, where did this idea come from? And I'd be like, I had no idea. I no, it just came to me one day. <laughs> came to me one day. No, yeah, we're, you know, we're still new to it. Jersey showed me it. Yeah. <laughs> some random comments fan yeah yeah you know we got we got some good ideas we're still new we're starting out but so that's awesome another reason why it was awesome that you started to do this with you. Uh, so if neither of you guys got anything else mac if you want to plug everything for you yeah he's actually writing it down yes yes oh yeah i'm gonna freaking get on that tomorrow i'm gonna do the whole rocky scene we only yes, charge. We only so charge. Awesome. We only charge one percent for our ideas, Mackenzie. Oh, okay. So yeah, we'll just do 1%. a little shared profit on uh, right. the the TikTok views. Yep. Sounds yeah. good. We'll <laughs> or, or like, what we'll do is we'll uh, we'll tag you in like the the video, so you'll have like a little like at in the bottom, nice. so they know Perfect. where to go. Yes, it's a little something. Yeah, if you guys ever have a Legion's Hockey merch, just go ahead and send me something. Yeah, I'll take we'll that stuff. We um, we're, we're working on it. Yes, if so, perfect. Send me a shirt. I'll take it. I'll wear it all. But yeah, if you want to, uh, it's allegiancehockey.com, right? Yeah, allegiancehockey.com. Um, and then, you know, follow me on socials, just mckenzie.stuart. Uh, Mackenzie spelled M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-E because my parents didn't love me. Um, <laughs> forgot to put it in the I. <laughs> Everybody spells it wrong. So make sure that you just ditch the I and uh, just mckenzie.stuart and you'll find me on social media. And, and like that too, like if somebody DMs me, like I answer everybody. Um, so if you have questions or you, you know, if you just want to shoot the shit, like just shoot me a DM and I try and answer absolutely everybody. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. Especially cause like I said, like I said, we got a lot of younger people that listen or like people who are like parents and have kids coming up in hockey. So like having somebody to reach out to about stuff, like if I can get like somebody to sign up to train with you, that would be amazing for me just to know that's that awesome. I helped extend your brand, like all the way over here. Um, yeah. I mean, well, if you ever want to do this again, we'll have you on just to talk hockey. Oh, like, yeah, no, this has been awesome. I love it. It's uh, I, I'm trying to do more podcasts just to get the voice out there. And um, you know, I've seen, I've, I've been on a few now where, it's very choppy and not very like flow like. Um, yeah. And it gets very, people, people don't take like credit to you guys, all of you guys. It's awesome to come on here and talk to you guys and just shoot the crap. But also the fact that you listen, um, cause I think most people get so caught up in the questions they're going to ask. They just don't let the conversation unravel. And then it becomes very dry and boring. Um, yeah. I'm a big podcast believer. Um, somebody I listen to like religiously and has helped me a ton is uh, Brad Lee. He does a podcast called Dropping Bombs. It's very entrepreneurial, but this guy is freaking hilarious. 
the entire time he's basically just joking, chirping, and he's actually a, a really smart guy when he turns it on. Um, but it's, it's an awesome podcast. And that, that's what this reminds me of is just keeping it real, not trying to, you know, move in any which direction. There's no hidden agenda on what it is that you want no. to just kind of three dudes getting together and, you know, doing your thing. It's awesome. Yeah. I, I just started awesome. it just cause I wanted to talk hockey. You know what I mean? Like just, I don't care who it is, just whoever comes on you and you dude, you've been awesome. I mean, this has been a blast. <laughs> yeah, Seriously. Fun. So fun. We got the, we had last week, we had the bill Burr of hockey this week. We have the Gary V of hockey. This is I love this. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I hope that title sticks. Yeah. Dude, I, yeah, I I'm going to refer to it as you, uh, but yeah, man, thank you again so much. I really we'll appreciate it guys. Great job as always. You guys are crushing it. Uh, and listeners, we'll see you guys next week.